0: I must destroy, ruin, devastate. (gasps) Super Horse
1: has gone berserk. He's destroying every landmark on Earth, and I'm powerless to stop him. As a super being, his superpowers are greater than my own.
0: What if the mysterious force which causes the stallion of steel to erupt in a maniacal fury... What turned Supergirl's best friend into an enemy of law and order, a menace to national security? The world will never forget the day Super Horse went wild.
2: Greetings, fans and friends! We are back with another episode of Supergirl Power Hour. Uh, We are going to be covering the middle of 1963 this time around. As always, I am Cory, and with me is my Centaurific co-host, James. Aren't we all half Centaur, Cory? Would that make you a quarter horse? It makes me a man. No, it would make you three quarters of a man. That's what I am already. <laughs> anyway, uh, the first comic that we have to cover today is Action Comics number 301, cover date of June 1963, written by Leo Dorfman, art by Jim Mooney, and the story is the secret identity of Super Horse. Uh, I'll take this one, Corey.
1: <clears throat> He's a fucking horse. End of story. <laughs> Anyway, so... If you want to get technical with it, yeah, go
2: ahead. The story opens with Supergirl riding Comet over to the Fortress of Solitude, where Superman has a special mission just for Comet, and that is to go to the planet of Xerox to help Prince Endor, because Xerox has a red sun, so Superman and Supergirl can't help. (sighs) I think Superman is just naming
1: this shit after things he sees around the house. Come, Linda, you must help me rescue the people of Coffee Cup Land. Superman away!
2: (laughs) So, the planet Xerox is a sorcerer's world, and Superman has decided to send Comet to help because Comet got his superpowers from magic and not from being from Krypton, And this worries Supergirl because if he's going to a planet of sorcerers, they could affect his powers because that's how he got his powers. So Superman tells her she can go too by giving her a plastic space suit? Which is gone in the next panel, so I don't know if it's invisible or what. Yeah, that's what I'm getting from it, is that it's made out of clear plastic because it looks like there's something over her suit. Like, you can see a little outline around her legs. So that's, I think it's I think that's clear just, plastic. That's just stockings, Superman. That's not going to protect her from sorcery. Or space. Anyway. <laughs> so they arrive on Xerox, where they find out that the problem is that the king of Xerox must lead a parade on a flying horse or he will lose his throne, and somebody has drugged his Pegasus so that it can't fly anymore.
1: God, I hate how bad juicing has gotten with competitive sports.
2: (laughs) Without Pegasus, we get a panel of King Endor wondering what he's going to do, and then the classic, look up in the sky, it's Super Horse. And Supergirl, who has already taken
1: her space helmet off, so any sorcery that may be in the air is just filling her lungs now.
2: So Endor rides Comet at the beginning of the parade, and his nephew, Nomad, tells him, well, he must ride Pegasus, but nothing in the bylaws say that it has to be Pegasus. It just has to be a flying horse. Meanwhile, Pegasus must just feel terrible right now. Oh no, my one thing. Nomad starts plotting his revenge because he, in fact, was the one that drugged Pegasus. And as they're watching the parade, he points out that all of the mythical creatures from Earth's past were once real creatures, and when people started burning witches at the stake, all the real witches and sorcerers of the planet left on the famed magical beasts. Because I assume at this point Wonder Woman is just fighting robots and founded the planet xerox where magic and sorcery are commonplace the most common spell of all copies (laughs) prince nomad decides that he wants to repay comet and comets one wish is to become a man so same (laughs) so nomad casts a spell first on a i think that's the chimera I, yeah, I think it's a chimera. And transforms him into
1: a beautiful man. And says that this is the same spell that the legend of Beauty and the Beast was based on. So, you got another case of Disney just
2: gentrifying classic mythology. Also, timely, because guess what just came out in theaters, guys? That's right. Super Horse. If only. So, they cast the spell and we get the Animorph sequence. It's time a reverse anamorph. And... We get to see Byron the centaur again, because apparently it works in stages? (laughs) Of course, this is basic science. You don't just transform
1: from horse to man like in some kind of silly fantasy story. The three stages are just a horse, centaur, just
2: a dude. And thankfully, he has lent some clothes before we see him without the clothes. I should just say, the, uh, horse transformation, it's in stages everywhere else. Oh my god, James. You were thinking it. You were we all got thinking it. We cut back to Supergirl and Nomad looking at some golden statues, which are from the myth of King Midas and his golden touch. And Nomad gives Supergirl a drink... Which he's thinking to himself that it is the Midas touch potion, which will turn Supergirl into a gold statue. And Endor recognizes it from across the courtyard and Byron steals a bow and an arrow from a statue. Shoots the cup out of Supergirl's hand, knocks it into Nomad, and turns him into a gold statue. And he is dead. He is friggin' dead. He is a corpse, and he's gold, like (sighs) at the end of Danger Diabolique. And then Supergirl faints, and is woken up by Byron, who then runs off, leaving Supergirl with Prince Endor in his funky sorcerer hat. And then Endor
1: just walks Supergirl away calmly. Uh, explaining what was going on, with his nephew just gold and dead in the background.
2: So he's there forever, I guess. We find out that the reason Byron just disappeared was because he was starting to turn back into a horse and didn't want to frighten or worry Supergirl. So Endor tells Comet that while the spell was temporary on Xerox, it will recur any time a comet passes by the planet Earth.
0: Strange... My name is Comet, and I bear a comet-shaped mark on my back. Odd that my fate is so weirdly connected with comets.
1: Don't point out the spotty riding, Comet.
2: (laughs) Comet, you got your name because of the comet on your back. Before that, you were Byron the Centaur. Keep shit straight. So Supergirl's wondering if she'll ever see the archer again that saved her life, and Comet thinks to himself, maybe someday, and he lands in a pack of wild horses, and then that night, a comet passes by, because coincidence. Oh, strange! And he animorphs back into a human, and then goes to an abandoned warehouse on the edge of Metropolis. Where, thankfully, Lex Luthor had kept his
1: all-purple suits stocked for just such an occasion.
2: Yes, it's one of Luthor's hideouts. So, Byron the Man goes to join a rodeo where the man who used to be a horse starts riding horses, because that's not weird at all. Also, can we make it canon from this point on that when
1: he's human, his alias is Byron Man?
2: (laughs) Well... We could, except that I like his actual alias even more, because he calls himself Bronco Bill. Bronco Bill Byron, the horseman. Comet. <laughs> Supergirl goes to hunt Comet down and doesn't find him in the herd of horses, so then she goes to her telepathic best friend, Mina Thorell, to see if she can find him, and she finds pictures of a rodeo when she tries to telepathically find him. And then Supergirl goes to the rodeo, sees a white horse who is doing tricks, and immediately thinks that it must be Comet. Oh, we just all look alike, don't we? And then she sees Bronco Bill, Byron Horseman, doing weird tricks like hanging off of a horse by one leg, and then saves him from a bull, which tears his shirt. Oh, she straight up suplexes that bull. It's awesome. <laughs> but strategically tears Bronco Bill's shirt so that we can see the birthmark on his back, which is Comet's Comet birthmark. Oh, this? That's just a jellyfish. <laughs> they are crowned King and Queen of the Rodeo, which I didn't know was a thing, and Bronco Bill, otherwise known as Comet the Super Horse, just lays one on Supergirl, like, full-on, tongue down the nom, mouth. Nom, 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 nom. Kiss. With the thought balloon of, I wonder what Supergirl would say if she knew who I really was. She'd say, you're a horse. <laughs> so, Comet starts changing back into a horse, and takes off Lex's clothes. Uh, Corey, say the line. I slipped away just in time. I'm starting to change into a centaur. I'd better take off my clothes before they burst.
1: I'm going to start changing into a centaur. I'd better take off my clothes
2: comics everybody (laughs) so he does turn into a centaur and it turns out that a group of thugs is here to steal the stunt horse white star so that they can sell him back to the rodeo and they're using a cargo net but then they see the centaur and decide he is a better deal than any old show horse I, I I love the idea of
1: criminals seeing a beautiful horseman and their first thought being, We gotta turn a profit off this dude. Do you know how much you can sell a horseman
2: to the underground porn industry? So they catch Byron in his in their nets and then take him on their helicopter because Taking a horse on a helicopter seems like a really smart idea, guys. He finishes his three-step transformation back into a horse, which gives him his superpowers back, and he just blows through the door of the
1: helicopter. Leaving them to just fall to their deaths. And when I originally read this story the next page was missing, so I just thought this was the end. (laughs) Ha ha ha! Enjoy dying in a fiery inferno, suckers! Super horse away!
2: (laughs) Alas, it was not how that story ended. The uh, criminals, in fact, were able to use their parachutes to escape the fiery uh, death that awaited them, and then they went back to their boss to tell him why they couldn't get the uh, show horse, Because they had instead abducted a centaur, which turned into a super-powered flying horse. They destroyed their helicopter. And he responds by
1: going full kingpin and just beating the shit out of them. The
2: end. (laughs) Uh, So, our next story is from Action Comics 302 from July of 1963, written by Leo Dorfman, drawn by Jim Mooney. And the story title is The Day Super Horse Went Wild. And this one opens with Linda Danvers and her foster parents visiting a sea circus, I uh, think they something called it. like that. Where the first attraction is a juggling octopus who doesn't juggle. He juggles. He just can't quite get all of the balls. So as they leave, the person running the show is like, this was horrible. We need mermaids.
1: (laughs) I just got an idea. We had a mermaid and a merman. Customers would come in droves. I just remembered an old sea chart, a map of Zone X. That's where we'll catch our act. That's a restricted area. I've got money sunk into the sea circus. And I say we're sailing to Zone X to catch ourselves a star attraction, understand? Kapow!
2: Yeah, he just socks the other sailor, and then they head out to Zone X, where there's a big sign with a flashing light that says, Fishing is forbidden within this area by order of the UN. No. Paying no heed to the sign, the crotchety old sailor catches Lori the mermaid and Jero the merboy in his net, and... Some evil Atlantean is watching them get abducted, and they send out a telepathic summons for help, and Supergirl and Comet go rescue their mer-pals, and Supergirl is just like, well, duh, the reason I'm throwing back your catches is because you're not allowed to fish here, you dummy. Didn't you see the buoy with the blinking light? We find out that Jero and Lori were trailing Atlantean criminal scientist Vostar Uh Oh, and that he had been a brilliant biologist for the Atlantis Zoo, who was discharged for performing forbidden experiments. I just want to know, what kind of horrible experiments can you
1: perform at the zoo? Hmm, if I can maybe get the monkeys to mate with the rhinos, I'll create a super monkey with horns. I mean, that's how I get thrown out of
2: zoos. Supergirl is having none of this because this is Comet's first visit to Atlantis because horses love to swim underwater, right? Uh, He was
1: in space for a really long time. This is all still new to him.
2: So we find out that Vostar was the one that was trying to get Jero and Lori captured, and he was doing so with a mental command helmet that he will use to help get his revenge against Supergirl and Superhorse. And we get introduced to a couple of Atlantean zoo animals, first of which is the sea spider, which uses nets to catch fish instead of webs to catch flies. And then we get the yarkan, which is a kangaroo frog, because it looks kind of like a frog with weird eyes and antennas, but it has a... But it has a kangaroo pouch.
1: <laughs> I'm so glad Atlantis sunk to the bottom of the sea.
2: And in that kangaroo pouch, what does the Yarkin have, James? No, no, no. Underwater kryptonite! And Bosar thinks he has one because the Yarkin has the underwater kryptonite, which is incapacitating Supergirl. But he doesn't know that Super Horse is immune to Kryptonite because Super Horse is not from Krypton. But Super Horse pretends to fall over so that Supergirl can climb onto his back and he can take her away. And then Lori and Jero get the Kryptonite back in its case by shoving a piece of driftwood into the Yarkin's mouth so it doesn't eat them. And then they give Supergirl the Kryptonite because, really? Here, friend, this is the one thing that can kill you. Keep it as a memento of the time you almost died. So, we get a repeat of S- Comet's origin story, and then we get a repeat of last issue where we saw that he had turned into a man because of a comet, and kissed Supergirl. And then we get perhaps my
1: favorite panel from this issue, as Supergirl <laughs> plants a friendly kiss on Jero, as... Comet looks leeringly in the background, thinking,
0: Supergirl doesn't know it, but she kissed me like that once.
2: (laughs) Eww. So we cut to Vostar's lair, where he has a team beat pinup of Lex Luthor scowling hung on his wall. Corey is not exaggerating.
1: Vostar hero worships Lex Luthor and wants to be the Lex Luthor of Merman and has a poster of Lex Luthor up in his face that we see many times that's just Luthor in a shirt that is slightly unbuttoned,
2: scowling. (laughs) I don't remember posing for this. The next night, Supergirl gets a summons to take care of an emergency at the Lighthouse, and she finds out that the reason there's an emergency at the lighthouse is Super horse is under it just destroying its foundation. And so she rebuilds the lighthouse and uses heat vision to turn a boulder into a beacon to destroy the light that Superhorse broke. <laughs> because science? And then she scolds Comet, who doesn't know why he was doing what he was doing. But later the next day... Super Horse destroys a submarine like it was cardboard, which makes Supergirl have to repair it, and she doesn't know what's going on with her horse. But then we cut to Vostar, who is using his telepathic helmet to turn Super Horse evil at random periods. And then we see his Teen Beat poster again. Maybe one day you'll approve of me, Luthor. Who are you? Where the hell
1: are your legs? Where did you get that photo of me? (laughs) That's the fictional story that exists in my head. (laughs) This leads directly into Comet going on a Superman 3 rampage across the world as he destroys the Hoover Dam, decapitates the inexplicably brown Statue (laughs) of Liberty, and cuts the Washington Monument in half, which I assume fell and killed people. (laughs) Which leads to the American government bringing in tanks to shoot Comet down, as he says to himself,
0: Well, they hate me. Everyone has become my enemy. I don't blame them, but I wish I knew what causes those insane moods of mine.
2: Same, Super Horse. Same. But because he's invulnerable, the tanks do nothing. And Vostar contacts Super Horse and sends him back in time to destroy the Panama Canal. No, that fiend. What will happen to
1: our nation's infrastructure? Superman works so hard to protect it.
2: It just so happens, when he went back in time to destroy the Panama Canal, it coincided with Halley's Comet which we all know now turns Comet into a dude. And we get a
1: shot of Comet transforming back into a centaur, but he's still wearing the harness and cape, so there's just a cape on his ass. And I kind of
2: want that to just be his costume. <laughs> and he finds what the captions call a secret cache of clothes. Left by <laughs> Sir Luthorington Fourth, And... Vastar is trying to contact Comet, and he just keeps finding images of a blonde human at this point. So, he returns to the present,
1: somehow. Maybe he just falls asleep in a cave for a hundred years until he wakes up.
2: <laughs> we cut to Supergirl hanging out with her beau, Dick Malvern, at the carnival, where she is not having a good time because she is worried about Superhorse. And... Byron happens to be at the carnival, too, and decides he can tell her what's going on by pretending to be Professor Misto the fortune teller who is out to lunch. So he puts on Professor Misto's turban and star and moon robe.
1: Uh, I think he just got this from the magic dude from Planet Xerox.
2: And tells Linda her future about a four-footed friend who is trapped by an evil force. And with Dick Malvern, leaning in the doorway of the tent, Linda says this out loud. A sinister shadow, part man, part fish. Could it be Vostar, the criminal scientist of Atlantis that Jero told me about? I'll get rid of Dick and check on it at once.
1: Girl, you needed to get rid of Dick the second you stepped foot in that tent, baby.
2: (laughs) But, like, she says this with Dick right there, because he's not already suspicious of you as Supergirl, Linda. I'm sure Dick is
1: really intensely studying a circus peanut at the time.
2: So just then Comet turns back into a horse and unfortunately
1: the horse is not still wearing the turban when he transforms.
2: <laughs> and then Vostar gets a, gets a uh, lead on him, but just in time Supergirl breaks into his hideout. And captures Bostor before he destroys the Capitol or built uh, Before Comet destroys the Capitol building. And then she goes back to the carnival and finds the real Professor Misto, who is not a young, handsome blonde dude, but an older, white dude with a weird beard and glasses.
1: And President John F. Kennedy is able to serve the
2: rest of his term in peace and quiet. Oh, sad. So, that leads us to our next story, which is from Superman 162, July 1963, written by Dorfman, pencils by Kurt Swan, inks by George Klein, and it is the amazing story of Superman Red and Superman Blue, and we're going to give very, very tangential coverage to this one. As amazing of a fun story as it is, it is not greatly related to
1: supergirl it is however the inspiration for the superman red and superman blue 90s comic event no really
2: it, it really is and wow this story so story is delightful it opens with a with the publisher of the daily planet pinning a notice of the pay raises that he is doling out and Harry White's getting a $25 a week raise. Lois is getting $10 a week raise. Jimmy is getting a $5 a week raise. And Clark Kent is getting nothing. And Why it, did they even put his name on there then? <laughs> right? like, And... Lois is like, well, that's because you don't get scoops, Clark. And he thinks to himself, well, if I didn't exist, you wouldn't get scoops, you broad. He's really hateful about it.
1: (laughs) And just then, he's called to the Fortress of Solitude by Supergirl, because the bottled city of Kandor wants to have an emergency meeting with him, where they list (laughs) all of his failures as a Superman. His failure to enlarge the city of Kandor, his failure to cure Kryptonians of the effects of green kryptonite, and his failure to stop the concept of evil, as he often swears he will. And Superman just hangs his head and thinks, Oh, you're right. I I should just end it all. Kara, get my kryptonite noose. And so, what they propose is that they will give him six months to do all these things. Or, and this captured my imagination, he will be forced to reduce himself to Kandor size and live in the city while a Kandorian enlarges himself and becomes the new Superman. They're holding a Superman recall
2: election. (laughs) And so... We find out that Superman has a shame board that he has written up of himself, where he has a list of things he hasn't been able to accomplish, complete with pictographs. Uh, and number three is Wipe Out Crime and Evil. And the pictograph is Lex Luthor, so. He tells Supergirl that he has a plan, and it is to use a machine powered by all the different types of kryptonite to increase the mental capacity of his brain by a hundredfold. And so he straps himself into this kryptonite machine and zaps himself, and there's an explosion, and out pop two Superman, one in a pure red costume and one in a pure blue costume, which it really isn't just the trunks
1: and cape are blue. The symbol is still red and gold, so that's just Superman
2: after a poorly done dry cleaning. <laughs> so it turns out that both of these now have mental powers a hundred times greater than the original Superman, and they decide to just call themselves Superman Red and Superman Blue.
1: Which we will not. I am naming them Ruski Soups and the Moody
2: Blues. You go ahead and do that. It makes me happy, Cory. Okay. So their first task is to increase Kandor back to its normal size, which they figure out a way to do it, and at the same time bring back the entire planet of Krypton with hypermagneton rocks that they chuck together and build a planet with.
1: Well, they build the planet out of all of the kryptonite they've encountered over the years because it happens that often. <laughs>
2: Is this Surprise Kryptonite?
1: No. This is Destiny Kryptonite.
2: The magnetic rays of the magneton that they built the new planet Krypton out of turned the Kryptonite back into regular minerals, chemicals, and gases. And they built Krypton back to its exact specifics and then increased Kandor back to its normal size on this new planet. And then the Candorians
1: have the gall to complain that the cities are not exactly as they were. Risky Soups and Moody Blues take pity on them and instruct them how to use their incredible super strength to rebuild the cities.
2: And then the Candorians are persnickety, because they don't want superpowers anymore. They want to be put back in orbit around a red sun, because they want to be normal. Can we please be sick and die? So, Superman Red and Superman Blue...
1: Ruski Soups and the Moody Blues, Corey. I am
2: not calling them that. I will leave this podcast. So, they somehow change the orbit of New Krypton, so that it goes back to the original constellation that it belonged to. How
1: hilarious would it be if they do this, and then all of the gravitational changes just kills everyone in Candor? Superman just dusts off his
2: hands. Well, anyway. <laughs> so then the two Superman get called by the Atlantis, and they are tired of being considered freaks on Earth, so they want their own new planet. Ugh... So, Superman Red and Blue find a planet that'll work and figure out a way to make it a water world by just melting its polar ice caps with their
1: heat vision. Well, this isn't actually just any other world. This is the Memorial Krypton that Superman and Supergirl built, which is even more ridiculous because Superman is destroying Krypton. It's a memorial, but there were still robot men who lived there. Glinda could visit her robot family.
2: So the Atlanteans are like, well, that's great and all, but how will we get there? We can't breathe in space because we need water. So, James, you want to take this one? So Rusky
1: soups and Moody Blues create a giant typhoon of water that spirals all the way from Earth to the darkest depths of space where the new planet is, and it just (laughs) launches all of Atlantis through (laughs) the cold vacuum of space into this planet. And I assume they're just reduced to some kind of gel by the time they hit the surface.
2: (laughs) And so, with that problem solved, they go to working on an anti-evil ray... Which
1: I took great moral offense to, because human beings have a God-given right to be evil.
2: So, they tested on a couple of ants first. The evilest
1: of creatures.
2: (laughs) These two ants are trying to kill each other. And after they shoot them with the anti-evil hypno-ray, they become vegetarians. So, they build it into a bunch of disco satellites... And bathe the world in anti-evil light. And we get a couple of bank robbers returning their money to an armored truck. We get my favorite supervillain of all time, Larceny Lena, the shoplifter. The
1: evilest woman who ever lived, apparently. And she returns a lifetime of stolen jewels back to the jewelry store. We have escaped prisoners returning to prison to live out the rest of their sentences. The Kremlin begins tossing all of their nukes into the sea, which is not a good idea.
2: The Atlanteans aren't
1: there anymore, so we're fine. (laughs) That's how you get a Godzilla, folks. (laughs) <laughs> and then a Caucasian man, dressed as Fidel Castro, sees the light of reason and releases his political prisoners.
2: And then Brainiac and the Superman Revenge Squad decide now is the time to take over planet Earth, and then once they get hit by the rays, they blow up their own robots and leave. And then we cut to the crime lab of master criminal Lex Luthor, who is now working on a cure for every known disease. Because he too has been turned good by the anti evil ray. So Superman Red and Superman Blue sprinkle his cure into all of the water on the planet, and it cures blindness, (laughs) and it cures disability. And in Luthor's cell,
0: look, the serum is working on me too. I'm no longer bald.
2: That that old sickness male pattern baldness. At long
1: last Luthor has found redemption in hair.
2: And so Lex finally gets to meet Lena Thorell because he's no longer evil, and Superman had told her that he was her brother, and that's when Superman Red and Blue go back to the Fortress of Solitude in time to see Supergirl releasing the Phantom Zone prisoners. <gasps> No! Betrayal! Ah! We find out that Supergirl was releasing the Phantom Zone prisoners because she knew that the anti-evil Ray would work on them too, and they want to go back to New Krypton, where they can live as useful
0: citizens.
1: I, Jaxor, shall deliver your mail. And
2: Supergirl also wishes to return to New Krypton. Because everyone on Earth has been a dick to her. (laughs) And so the Legion of Superheroes shows up with a space arc for Supergirl and the Phantom Zone prisoners. Then we get your favorite panel of the episode, James. Our hypno-beam
1: is working perfectly. Now that all crime and evil are abolished, we can fulfill another ambition. We can get married.
2: Hold everything, Red. There have always been two girls who were our rivals for our love. Lois Lane and Lana Lang, which will it be?
1: Ah, uh, uh, yes, that's what I was talking about. <laughs> Sometimes.
2: So they get this idea to decide which of them gets to pick first by holding up giant L's made out of metal and seeing which one gets struck by lightning first. Gory, can this be how we decide who will marry? <laughs> no, James. Aw, oh, please. In a twist of fate, both of them get struck by lightning at the same time, so they still don't know who gets to pick first. So that was just pointless,
1: and I'm I'm not entirely sure what their gain was there. Was
2: the idea that one of them would die and the other would get to marry Lois? Well, it turns out that Superman Red is in love with Lois, while Superman Blue is in love with Lana, so it didn't matter in the first place, so... They go home, and Superman Blue reveals his identity to Lotta Lang, and Superman Red reveals his identity to Lois Lane. And whenever we cut to
1: Ruski Soups and Lois, he's putting his clothes back on so you can
2: tell how she took the news. Why, well, your costume is red. You're not the real Superman. <laughs> then Lana calls Lois to rub it in, and that's when they find out that there are two supermen in two clerk tents. And then that scene
1: from Watchmen happens in its entirety.
2: They decide to have a double wedding, and Lois picks Lucy to be her maid of honor, and Superman picks Jimmy to be his best man. And they think, aw, oh,
1: hell, let's just make it a triple wedding.
2: Lois marries Superman, Lonel marries Superman, and Lucy marries Jimmy. Lucy, you are getting the short end of the <laughs> stick there. It turns out that Superman Red decides he wants to go live on New Krypton, and Lois goes with him, and so does Super Horse and Super Dog. And Super Horse
1: is just beleaguered by the loss of his lady love to New Krypton, so maybe with a new lease on life on a new planet, he can rebuild his life as a horseman.
2: And Superman Blue decides that he's going to retire and leave all the natural disasters to his robots, and devote his
1: life to science. Cut to an old-timey spinny newspaper panel of Superman to devote life to science, with a photograph of Superman looking exactly like origin Batman in a lab coat looking at
2: beakers. And then we cut to him playing with his kids, who are in Superman blue costumes, and Lucy and Jimmy check in on Superman red using a monitor screen, where Lois is in Kryptonian fashion and Superman Red is in a red leisure suit. <laughs> Just sleezing it up. They also have two children that are wearing Superman Red costumes and riding Super Horse around the backyard.
1: What's your opinion, readers? Suppose this imaginary story really happened. Which couple do you think would be happiest?
2: Lucy and Jimmy. And that brings us to our last story of the episode, which is Action Comics number 303 from August of 1963. Written by Edmund Hamilton, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by George Klein, and it is the monster from Krypton. And this story is stupid. (laughs) This story starts with Jimmy Olsen... In the hovering newsroom, finding a colossal red egg.
1: Wow, a landslide has uncovered a colossal red egg. It looks weird, almost ominous. I gotta find out what it is. Jimmy, I got a wife and two kids. Don't ask me to land in that earthquake region. I just love how immediately that pilot is having none of Jimmy's suicidal craft. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, I've I've read Jimmy Olsen comics before. I'm not going anywhere with you.
2: Jimmy summons Superman. So Superman immediately recognizes the red egg as that of a drang, a monster that destroys everything. And it looks kind of like a sandworm with a horn and spikes. It's, it's very Japanese. Oh, you know who it looks like, Corey? Uh, Rainicorn from Adventure Time? I will take your word for that. I I do not watch Adventure Time.
1: Folks at home, tweet images of Rainicorn at Cory for the rest of her life. That's at CoryMarie21 on Twitter.com. Thanks, James. So Superman goes down to investigate, but feels woozy upon approaching this egg, and all too late realizes that the egg is not covered in
2: a shell, but surprise, red (laughs) kryptonite. And because he had been thinking of a drang, he turns into a drang and carries his own costume in his mouth, which makes Jimmy think that he killed Superman. Which leads to an elaborate series of wacky
1: misunderstandings where Superman keeps trying to tell people that he is, in fact, Superman, while they're trying to kill him as revenge for the murder of Superman. I like to think that this is exactly how Death of Superman (laughs) happened. Like, Doomsday was just trying to tell Clark that he was himself from the future, and then tragedy struck. And in... My favorite part of this issue, a very weary Superman monster picks up the gold key to the fortress and tries to open the lock. In Candor, they're watching this and thinking, that monster is trying to break into the Fortress of Solitude to mess stuff up. Let's kill it. And an army of little men come out and push the key out so Superman can't get in. Oh.
2: And so he flies back to Metropolis and Supergirl shows up and accidentally gets hit by the kryptonite bullets as they try to kill the Drang. And Superman saves Supergirl, and then rips up his own statue, and then carves out letters from the plaque that is honoring him. It says, originally, in honor of the man who came from Krypton to become Earth's greatest hero, Superman. And he carves out all the letters so that it spells, I am Superman. Hmm, still think we should kill it. Which is what convinces Supergirl that it was actually Superman affected by Red Kryptonite, just in time for him to turn back into Superman. And that is the end of this weird, bizarre story. And I lied, because it wasn't the last one of the issue. I forgot we had one more.
1: You were just that entranced by weird Japanese snake monster Superman and his quest to be understood.
2: The last story is also from Action Comics, number 303. It's the Supergirl story of the issue. Uh, also from August 1963, written by Leo Dorfman, art by Jim Mooney. And the title is Supergirl's Big Brother. We open with Supergirl using her superpowers to do the household chores. Then some random frat boy walking up to the Danvers' house. That's the right address. This is
1: where I go into my act.
2: Linda answers the door, and tells this guy that the Danvers aren't home, but she's their daughter, so can she help him? And he's like, well, I know that they don't have a daughter. And Linda gets sassy. Well, it just so happens that I'm the Danvers' adopted daughter,
1: Linda. And who are you? Adopted daughter, eh? Well, you might say I'm your brother. Your big brother, Jan.
2: And Supergirl uses her x-ray vision to see that He does, in fact, have an identification card in his pocket that says his name is Jan Danvers from Midvale, USA, and if there's an emergency, to contact Fred Danvers. And so he tells her that he's been away in the army in Korea and that dad must have told her about him. Just then the Danverses get home and they they are shocked to see their son who indeed has the birthmark on his wrist that their son had. Also of a comet? It is not. It looks like it's in the shape of a crescent moon. They tell Linda that he had been reported dead many years ago, and he reveals that there was a mix-up in the records. He was wounded and shell-shocked and had amnesia, and didn't recover until just now. Which should be really outlandish, but that's actually the most grounded,
1: down-to-earth thing that's happened in any of these stories.
2: So, Linda wonders why she had never heard of her older brother, and the Danverses say that they were so heartbroken that they just kind of went into a fugue state and forgot he existed. (laughs) So, we get a scene where Jan kisses Linda, and Linda goes full anime blush.
1: Mmm, for a second there, I... Nearly forgot I
0: was his foster sister.
2: Can we go one goddamn episode without wacky incest shenanigans? <laughs> no, James, we cannot. So we get a panel where Jan is painting his birthmark on with makeup paint. And then we get a, we get a scene with Supergirl rounding up some tigers. Uh, that was weird. I, I didn't quite follow that. <laughs> I, I don't know, James. And then we get a panel of her coming out of the closet Uh-oh. and Jan catching her coming out of the closet. Chuckle!
1: In the closet, eh? Aren't you a little too old to be playing hide and seek?
2: And, like, this is just This story is weird, guys. I'm sorry. This is just an 80s thriller as a Supergirl story. So Fred and Edna tell her that she can trust Jan with her secret identity, and then she is given no choice as the Danvers' horrible driving (laughs) catches up to them again as they run off a cliff, and Supergirl jumps out of the back of the car, saves the car, and flies away, and then flies back into the back seat of the car before Jan even notices that Linda was gone. Do they even put
1: gas in that car at that point? It seems <laughs> like Supergirl drives it more than they do.
2: <laughs> and then Jan is all gushing about how he wants to meet her, and that she's a living doll. <laughs> I, I,
1: I bet you would like that, Jan. And then we get another thrilling scene where Linda uses her superpowers to do laundry. Because this story is an all-super-chores spectacular.
2: Right? And then she uses her superpowers when Jan nearly gets crushed by a car that he is repairing to save him. And that's how she finally reveals her identity to him.
1: Supergirl? My own kid's sister. I can't believe it. How lucky can a guy get? Must be great having all those powers. Golly, how I wish I could be super, too. He says as he caresses her cheek.
2: (laughs) And Linda thinks to herself that she doesn't like how he's playing up to her now that he knows that she's Supergirl and that he would probably misuse his superpowers if he got them. And... Then we find out that Jan is the beneficiary of a trust fund worth $50,000. Plot, 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 plot. And Linda's thinking that this is suspicious, but then he decides that he's going to invest it in the engineering business that his dad owns. Well, that is pretty responsible, so let's make out again. So Linda gives him a pill to give him superpowers, and they go do some stuff. Yeah, Supergirl stuff. They, they save a helicopter. They save a helicopter, and they spook some diamond thieves. Air spook
1: diamond them. thieves, because crime in the Superman universe is awesome.
2: And so the spooked thieves chuck their diamonds out the window of the airplane. But Jan grabs them at
1: the last moment and secrets them in her, away into his room, which Supergirl catches him doing at the last minute. What's this? The diamonds? Then you took them. Jan, don't you know you mustn't use your superpowers for your own benefit? Don't hurt me, that Boy Scout lecture, sis. What's the use of being super if you can't make anything on the deal? You've been helping everyone else for years. Now how about helping a member of your family? No one would know what happens to those diamonds.
2: And that's when Supergirl notices that he doesn't have the crescent moon birthmark that Jan does. So she knows he's a fake. And she confirms this by going to Korea and finding the grave of the real Jan Danvers. And then she comes back and confronts the fake Jan Danvers, who we find out is really named Biff Rigger.
1: Biff Rigger. Biff Rigger.
2: And he tells his story that he met the real Jan Danvers dying in an army hospital... And they looked alike, so they became friends. He told Biff about his family life and his fifty thousand dollar trust fund. Biff Rigger, and then or fake Jan stole real Jan's locket so that he could come into the inheritance. And he blackmails Supergirl because he doesn't want, or he knows that she wouldn't want her parents to get heartbroken by knowing that their son really is dead. So she goes off on a mission, and. He sneaks into her lab because he saw her make the pill that gave him the superpowers. Ha <laughs> ha sleazy science. He makes himself another one and finds sunken treasure. And as he's digging up the sunken treasure, he uncovers... Our second case
1: of underwater kryptonite. Which drops Kara like a fly as she's been secretly trailing him this entire time
2: and since he's not from Krypton, the kryptonite doesn't affect him, and he starts stealing all of the sunken treasure, but then his conscience gets the better of him, and he rescues Supergirl, but then... Turns out that the super concoction
1: he put together using the power of sleaze was imperfect. He may be invulnerable on the outside, but his heart is just as vulnerable as yours, or perhaps mine. The change of air pressure has given him
2: the Benz, a.k.a. human kryptonite. <laughs> and so he lays dying on the beach as Supergirl wakes up, and she promises to tell the Danvers that he died a hero. When Fake Jan dies, Lori suddenly appears
1: and tells... <laughs> And tells Supergirl they will give him a heroic burial beneath the sea among the heroes of Atlantis. (laughs) So just imagine that conversation. She brings them out to a cliff and tells them that their son, who came back from the war miraculously, died saving her life for reasons she can't go into and he's buried at sea. (laughs) And then in a bit of grief and rage... The Danvers lunge at the woman who caused their son's death, and the three topple over the cliff like Sherlock and Moriarty. End of Supergirl. That's the story that's existing in my head. This this doesn't actually happen.
2: We've gotten a couple of those this episode, James. I can't help it if I'm a writer. You know what else we've gotten a couple of? Letters. Oh! segue. So, we, as we open our super female portion of the show we received our first letter and it came from supergirl power hour fan red five And it reads, Hi, Corey and James. You may already know this, but the letter that you guys read from Action Comics number 300 complaining about Supergirl's numerous doubles was, irony of ironies, itself subject to spurious cloning. In Action Comics number 302, they accidentally printed and replied to the same exact letter, this time with a different excuse. Loving the show. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Red 5. I'm just amazed that the editing on those comics were more
1: incompetent than the fictional comedy version we created for the show. <laughs> but Which, that's not that's not a wacky Mort Weisinger bit I did. That's just a thing that happened.
2: <laughs> In fact, that is the letter that we have for Super Female. Is that same letter with the uh, different response? Dear Editor, how do you explain the numerous doubles your writers have had for Supergirl? There was Les Lar from Kandor, Lena Thorol, Luther's sister, Luma Lanai, who looks like an adult version of Supergirl, and there is Supergirl on the twin planet of Terra, Evelyn Petrofili, East Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, we
1: don't. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> we don't think our writers are so extravagant. With lookalikes for Supergirl, you'll note that each double exists on a different world. Don't you think Supergirl is entitled to have at least one double per planet? Signed, Bort
2: Weisinger. (laughs) So, there you have it, guys. We we got to do the same letter twice in a row. Thanks, Red5, for uh, bringing it to our attention. As always, you can reach us on the Twitter at Escoral Power Hour. You can reach me on Twitter at Cory Marie 21, and you can
1: reach me both on the same Twitter and at Graphic Novelism and at Box Office Pulp. And also catch me on those two shows, at boxofficepulp.blogspot.com and graphicnovelism.com. And you can check out those shows, this shows and shows you don't even know about at podcastnetwork.wordpress.com.
2: And you can find us on Facebook at Supergirl Power Hour and on Tumblr at supergirlpowerhour.com. You can also find a monthly column by me. If you don't get enough of me talking about Supergirl, uh, I am doing a monthly column over at WomenWriteAboutComics.com called Supergirl 101. Uh, the first piece went up about a month ago, and then the second piece will be going up sometime in the next uh, week or so. And that is an interview with Jamal Igel from Emerald City Comic Con that I just attended. Very thankful that he did that for me. And I know from experience, Corey is not afraid to ask the hard hitting questions, so she's going to get to the truth about Supergirl. Again, you can find that over at womenwrightaboutcomics.com. The series heading is Supergirl 101. Check out that
1: shit, check out the other shit, and hope you enjoyed the shit you're listening to now. Until next time, I've been James. I've been Corey. Stay mighty, my friends.
2: Superman, no!
1: This has been a Pulp Podcast production.
0: There are a lot of issues that plague the comic book community at large that are really never kind of addressed. I think what the three of us really wanted to do was do a show where we explore all of that.
1: And by the very hand of Odin himself... We now <laughs> have the seed of this podcast.
0: Marvel's Odin. Does DC have an Odin? <laughs> they must. I don't, th- yeah, I don't think so. Let's go with, like, image Odin. Well, look, DC has Hercules, so he has to have something. Who doesn't have Hercules? Spawn? He has Angela, who's, like, Lady Hercules. Yeah, she is kind of Hercules-like. Can we still yeah, legally Hercules. say Spawn has Angela? Have I just gotten us in trouble? Well, now that she's Asgardian, I think it's, it's fair play, so. Hey, she's not technically Asgardian. Yeah, but she's Asgard's assassin. And she has, like, a weird new haircut. Have you seen Angela's new redesign? Look, we can get all into the pathos of Angela on another episode. That was just a little taste of graphic novels. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce, hi. It's, it's me. I just got back on the jet, and I just, I feel awful. And now I'm just sitting here and thinking of all the stuff I should have said and I didn't. I I mean, I I didn't even get to tell you that that I'm your super friend, too. Because of course I am. We're the world's finest. What am I doing? I've got to see you. I've got to get off this jet. Oh, my God. Excuse me? Clark, please, sit down. I I need to get off this jet, okay? I, I need to tell someone that I them as an ally. I can't fly this thing with you moving around. Let him off the jet. Damn it, Diana, you don't understand. I don't understand. Great row, let me. No, no. Oh my God. Did he get off the jet? Did he get off the jet? I got off the jet. I respect you as a friend and as a partner. As do I. And I'm never letting you go again. You and me, all right. This is it. Unless we're on a break. (laughs) Get it because you broke. I got it, Bruce. Box office pulp sweeter than grandma's peach tea.